It is good to see everybody. If you are, um, are one of our guests this morning, we want you to know that you're most welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, this Sunday, uh, this service, we are going to celebrate communion together. And those elements for communion are in individually wrapped packages back there in the back on that table um, in the doorway when you come in. And so uh, if, if you don't have uh, communion elements, that's where you need to go. And you can go there right now. Um, don't go during the music. Go during the message if you're going to get some more. <laughs> it's the best time to move around the building. I'm just kidding. It's, it's a bad time then, too. So go right now. If you, uh, if you are not already involved, um, we want you to know that we have men's and women's Bible studies happening weekly, um, small groups that happen weekly um, that we would love to have you be a part of if you are not already. You can learn about those um, by coming and talking to me um, or Matt or Dave or looking at our website. Um, you can learn about it there and sign up for them there, um, but we want you to know about that stuff. Uh, when we begin this morning, or we're going to begin this morning um, with a couple of songs that uh, that I love. And, and after this first song, I'm going to invite you to participate in a way that I don't think I have ever done before. Um, so you have one song worth of time to get ready for it. Okay? You guys stand up with us. you 
Okay, you guys are all invited to join the new CBC choir. All of you are. You all qualified with one song. But now I need you to learn two different parts for this next song. The first one is for the ladies. Um, It goes, you're going to sing it with Jenny. humbling me y'all okay you ready yes i'm ready girls sing with me go ahead that was good that was good that's why you guys got invited to be in the choir I need y'all to help me out. <laughs> so the girls are going to sing that with her, and the guys are going to sing this with me. you got to sing that at the same time. Okay. Oh. Okay, just the guys. The earth is filled with your glory. That was good. One more time. The earth is filled with your glory. That's good. That's why you guys are in the choir.
heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. That was awesome. You guys are now all off the team. We had a good run. I really appreciate you guys being in the in the choir. Um, you can be seated. And uh, we're going to dismiss our kids now to Sunshine Kids Club a little bit early this morning. Um, but they're going to come back and join us here in a little bit. Thank you for that great start. Good morning. How's everybody? I got some good mornings and I got some goods. Well, I hope that whatever state you're in as you, as you came in, that you were able to cast your cares and burdens onto the Lord because he is big enough to take them. And this morning we're going to be, be starting a, just a quick two-week look at communion and baptism. And today we're focusing on the communion element of it. And uh, some, uh, depending on, on the background, church background you're in, you maybe have heard them called sacraments or ordinances. And you might be wondering, what is the difference and does it even matter? Um, but sacraments really, uh, when, when you hear that word, all you really need to think is sacred ceremony. Uh, it's just, it, 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 it identifies, in, in our case, these two specific things that the Bible lays out as as Ceremonies that are set apart, that are that are unique in nature, uh, have a unique uh, experience laid out for us, and are meant to be done in a regular way as as the body of Christ. Uh, and, and then we also use the word ordinance. It's, it just simply means ordained. It's it's God ordained them, set them up. Jesus ordained them, set them up as a, a regular experience. Now, what is really more critical in this discussion, not so much what word you use to describe them, but why you do them and, and how you do them. And, and so we're going to spend some time over the next two weeks really taking a little bit deeper look at these two ordinances or, or sacraments. Now, I, I know some of us come from a background where maybe sacrament carries a little bit different weight. And, and to you, you hear that word and, and it communicates salvation. And, and maybe you were brought up in an, in an understanding that either communion or baptism or both uh, assisted or caused your salvation, your forgiveness of sins. And so on the, uh, at the very beginning, on the onset of this, and we're, we'll be communicating it regularly, is that that is not what scripture teaches that these have been set up as symbols of an already changed life, that, that we are simply using them to demonstrate what we believe in, in our faith. They do not bring about salvation by doing them. And so hopefully that will become more and more clear as we, as we go through this morning on exactly what communion is, is all about. And uh, there's essentially just a handful of places that we usually go to when we, when we recognize communion. And we're going to spend some time looking at those, and then we're going to finish up uh, doing communion together. And the children are going to come back in, and so families, you'll still be able to celebrate it together. And if you didn't get a chance to uh, grab some of the elements in the back, there'll be a moment of chaos when the children enter back in, in which will be an appropriate time to stand up and run over there and, and grab what you need. Um, but turn with me to Luke, if you would. We're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 22. And really, when it comes to Jesus's instruction to the disciples on this subject, 
you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, all having very similar descriptions. Matthew and Mark are the, are the more abbreviated versions. Luke adds a little bit more. And then you have 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, where Paul deals with this subject in his communication to the church in Corinth, where he again repeats, and Paul's rendering of it seems to come close to Luke's rendering of it. So this morning, we're going to spend time in, in Luke and 1 Corinthians and a, and a few other places that help us in our understanding of this subject. I want to read through our passage this morning, and then we're going to go back through and let it lead us uh, verse by verse. So if you have opened up to Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, as I considered that passage and the ones out of Matthew and Mark, depending on the church background that you maybe grew up in and how, however long you've been here, at the very least, you've probably heard these verses 12 times a year. If you attended a church that did this every Sunday, even more so, right? So by my estimation, the, the passage that I read is probably the most read or heard passage out of the Bible for most of us. So that begs the question, why are we going to spend an entire sermon dedicated to the most read passage of the Bible? And I, I would say this, that, that we tend to, yeah, our, our normal way of doing things is it's a part of the service, right? And we read it and then we move on and we have other passages that help guide our thoughts and our meditation and our praise. And we here at Conroe Bible, if you've been here a little while, we, you know that we, you know, we don't like doing the same thing twice. So we tend to mix up our way of doing things. Now, COVID has restricted us to these prepackaged uh, 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 deals, which are, which are a great invention that, that we, some of us kind of made fun of previous to COVID. And now we've realized someone was genius in their foresight, but we, we do tend to like to change it up because we want to rock us from, you know, the status quo. And we want to kind of shake the boat a little bit and get us to think a little differently. And I guess that's part of why we want to dive a little bit deeper this morning. But also I was thinking about my childhood growing up, often taking hikes in the desert. And, and if you're not from the desert and you've seen pictures of the desert, you might think that just looks like the most barren wasteland, boring place that you'd want to take a hike. And it is in a lot of places. Um, but as you walk through it, there are just bushes and plants of all sorts. And they do, you get used to seeing them and they look all the same. But my brother used to call one in particular a wait a minute plant. Because as you're walking along, it grab your sleeve and, and you had to stop and, and unprickle yourself. Because every single plant in the desert has a thorn and it wants to kill you. And so you have, to, you have to stop. And I'm hoping as I walk through this passage with you, you're gonna get snagged by one of them and it's gonna be a wait a minute plant for you. That you gotta stop and say, no, I've walked by this thing a million times, but I want to look at it anew 
this morning. And the method by which I want to do that is by considering the various names that we use for communion. And I don't know about you, but did you ever think it's a little odd that, that we have like five, six different names for the same thing? And, and even odder is if you've been to various churches that one church may call it Lord's Supper, another calls it communion, another calls it Lord's Table. Uh, why is that? You know, and as a child, I, it's one of those things, if you grow up in the church, oh, it's just what we do. And, and maybe you've never stopped to consider it and what the roots might be in each of those names and why there are different ones. And so they have their roots in this passage in, in Luke. And as, so as we go back to the very beginning of this Luke passage, we're going to see each one kind of reflected not only in, the, in, in some of the words themselves, but just the ideas, which will then take us to a few other places in Scripture so I want to look at five of them today, five, five names that we kind of toss around, and maybe you prefer one, because uh, maybe that was what you heard growing up. But we're going to start with the Lord's table. And maybe you grew up in a church where they literally had a table, and uh, someone that was good with woodworking wrote the Lord's table on it. And so you grew up thinking, that is the Lord's table. I don't know if, like me, if you've ever stopped to think, why is it the Lord's table? Where, where does that come from? And why is it different from all the other tables that we use in the church? Well, when you hear the Lord's table, I want you to think Jesus is our host. We're doing this in honor of him. You see, the early church adopted this terminology. It's a, and, and all these names we're going to look at, they were used quickly in the first century. And we see this in, in scripture that we're going to see, and we see it in, in writings outside of scripture. And there was a custom done in pagan polyistic, polyistic uh, cultures where if, if the, the Greeks or Romans wanted to throw a party, they would do it in honor of one of their gods. I don't know if they picked one out of a hat. They had so many. I don't know if there was one that was in particular a, a god they honored in that household. But they would have a table and they would say, this is fill in the blank God's table. And so the early church wanted to differentiate from their culture to say that we too come together, we too gather, and we do this in honor of the Lord. This is the Lord's table. Implication, there are no other gods in, in competing with this title. This is the Lord's table. And so when we come together and consider it, we honor the Lord and we consider the fact that it is his and I want to I bring us back to the beginning of Luke 22 and, and verse 14 and 15, when it says in Jesus' words there, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you. This was something Jesus had planned. This was a part of it. Lord's table, Lord's supper, communion was birthed out of the Passover meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. He saw it as part of his end game, right? Knowing that he was going to the cross that night, he would spend time with them and he, he looked forward to this experience where he would teach them something new, where he would help them understand the new covenant and why he was about to go to the cross. Now, we know that they, it didn't soak in right away, and they heard him say these things and the symbolism and what he was trying to say, and I think for the most part it was moving 100 miles an hour, and it wasn't until later that the Spirit began to teach them exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate. But understand that the Lord's table, when we think of that, when we think of Jesus as our host, we do this in honor of him, this was his idea. He set it up. He described it. He taught it. 
And I want to take us somewhere else in 1 Corinthians, and it'll just be up on the screen and not really a need for you to flip over there. Just read with me up here. When Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 10 is one of idolatry. He was calling out the people in the church of Corinth for allowing the culture around them to seep in and direct their worship so that although the Lord's table, as he uses, this is the the terminology, the table of the Lord, the Lord's table that Paul uses here for this very reason to remind them that Jesus set this up so that we would bring our allegiance back to the one true Lord, that we have all these imposters around us that seek to steal our worship and so he reminds them that you, you, can't, you can't hold the Lord's table when you gather and then go out throughout the day and essentially practice idolatry. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 that Paul goes so far as to equate these false gods in the Greek and Roman pantheon with demons. To essentially say you're involved in idolatry and you're allowing this evil presence to influence you. And how can that be? How can you say that this is the Lord's table, that you do this in honor of, of the Lord, and yet mix your allegiance? So I think as, as we come together, it's, it's one of those areas we can focus on, that the Lord's table focuses our allegiance on the one true Lord in a world of imposters. That we are given an opportunity every time that we come to the Lord's table to examine our hearts, to say, have I collected idols along the way to my time in worship together with the body? Our hearts so want to create idols, so want to grab onto the things of this world. And isn't it great that Jesus set up this regular reminder for us to be reminded that now my allegiance is to the one True Lord. The next name that I wanted to highlight was the Eucharist. Now, this may be either completely unfamiliar to you because it's not one we use very often or kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. If you have come out of maybe a Roman Catholic background where it, it carried some weight for you uh, in, in, a, in your understanding of how to have access to the Lord, maybe you thought that you had to do certain things in order to gain favor or earn God's Love, but understand that the term the Eucharist, as it's as it's uh, referred to, our understanding of communion predates all of that. It, it it predates organized Roman Catholic religion. In fact, we can find in the writings of Justin Martyr, who died in 165 A.D., he earned the surname Martyr because he said it it was worth it for him to give his life for his faith. He wrote about the daily experiences of the early church, and he called it the Eucharist. And when you think about the Eucharist, I want you to think of this. I want you to think of Thanksgiving. Eucharist just simply means, it's, it's from the Greek word of, of Jesus' Jesus's words here in Luke, and we're going to look at in just a second, as it, as it is up on the screen for you there, Eucharisteo, and it's given thanks. And we see it in, in Jesus' words in, in Luke This term was one that Justin used to describe what the early Christians did when they gathered. That it wasn't about trying to earn God's favor or something you needed to do, some ceremony. It was simply a recognition of gratitude for Jesus' work on the cross. The 
finished work of salvation, that I am not trying to attain anything by doing this. I'm giving thanks. So the Eucharist is giving thanks. Look again at Luke 22. And in fact, there's two places, verses 16 and 17, and then verse 19, we see Jesus give thanks before each of the elements. In verse 17, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. The same with the bread. And we took the bread in verse 19, and he's given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them. That word there is where we get our word Eucharist. And so this title, one that, albeit in our tradition, we don't use as often, is a very rich one, a rich one that should bring us back to gratitude. The Eucharist focuses our gratitude for Jesus' work of salvation. The Eucharist does not enact our work for salvation. It focuses our gratitude for Jesus' work of salvation. The third one is probably even less known for you. It's, it's love feast. And you're thinking, ah, oh, we, we shouldn't be calling it that. That doesn't seem appropriate. If, if you're a student of the Bible, if you've read enough of it, or maybe you've read people describe this concept, you maybe even tried to differentiate the two to say, well, the love feast was just, that was just their fellowship time. They got together and they ate. Um, from my reading and my understanding, and I, I think from a lot of people, it's very difficult, and even in Justin's, Justin Martyr's writing, to differentiate because communion was so central to their worship, but also eating, <laughs> One, some things don't change, right? We, eating is central to our community. We come together in our, in our adult Bible fellowships. I noticed we had food this morning and we all praised God, right? That we could, we could eat because we love to do that when we come together. I find it really funny personally that when I interact with different uh, churches, denominations and such, they all like to claim ownership of the fact that, oh, we love eating. <laughs> it's like, I think that's just Christians. I think you know, it's, but the roots are in there. Um, this love feast concept is, is simply a, a word that was used by the early Christians. And one, albeit we, we don't use it all that much today, um, but it, it was reflective in the idea that, that Jesus, in those last moments when he was leading the disciples, prayed for unity, prayed for love, that they would love one another. And he broke bread at that Passover meal and said, take this, divide it amongst yourselves. We, we see it here in Luke 22 again. Take this and divide it among yourselves. This was a group activity. This was sharing bread. And it was an, part of the DNA of the church from the very beginning. But also, it was a differentiation from the culture around them. Because uh, there was a, a, you know, in the Greek culture, there, there wasn't a, a large element of debauchery and, and, and party culture. We like to think that our generation is the one that owns the, the party culture. But I, I think the early church was birthed in a culture of debauchery and, and party culture. And so the Christians would come together and, and they were 
the, the community around them would see them and, and they would make assumptions about what was going on in there because it was very exclusive and right, you, you didn't go to these Christians separated, didn't go to these other parties. And there was a, an understanding that we are to be spirit led in our community and not, you know, wine led. And, and so there was this separation from this is the way everyone else does it. This is the way we do it. And then there was talk that they were eating Jesus's flesh. And so people began to go, do we have some cannibalism going on? And so the early church was accused by people that maybe hadn't been in one of these. Say, oh, those love feasts, you know what's going on in there? So it required for the Christians to come together to, to show acts of love to one another, to celebrate communion, to break bread, and to show their love for one another, to show their unity. I, I remember one story even in my childhood of a missionary saying that they were about to, uh, to do communion. And, then, and, and when they got to the part where Jesus says, take this, this is my body broken for you. He got up and screamed and ran out the door. And they were wondering what in the world? And they caught up with them. And he, he thought, literally, we were about to eat somebody. I don't want any part of that. Right. So Jesus uses some some words here. That, that come across very strange from an outside point of view. And so this love feast, I think, is hilarious because it's a term that the church used. They came, it was a self-imposed term, and we see it actually cited uh, in Jude, which is, I'm going to have you turn over to Jude because you probably never are going to turn to Jude for any other reason. <laughs> but if you're trying to find it, uh, it's right before Revelation, and it'll be up on your screen as well. But here's one of the places that we see this term used. In this little tiny letter, Jude is calling out false teachers. And in almost Old Testament prophetic writing style, he uses this imagery about these people that are sneaking into these love feasts and, and robbing the meaning and taking away the meaning. In verse 12 of Jude, and you don't even have to, the best part about these kind, you don't have to say what chapter, because there's only one. Verse 12, Jude 12, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. For they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. That's some strong words from a short letter about coming in and causing disruption in the body of Christ, especially in that moment that was all about unity and love. Jesus at the Passover said, I earnestly desire to eat this with you. Take this. And then they took it. And then when we read the gospel of John, we see, oddly enough, John doesn't include what Luke, Matthew, and Mark do, but he includes so much more that the others do not, like Jesus got up and washed their feet. He focuses on the love and the servanthood and the unity. He, he, he in detail, gives Jesus's last prayer for them, that they would be one. And this Lord's Supper that he institutes is that place where they could come back together and be reminded, we are to be one in the spirit. There should not be infighting. We need to be careful that people are not coming in and causing us to pull apart. And isn't it ironic that Communion is one of those places that we have seen so much disunity and an argument over what it means and how we should do it and when we should do it. We as humans seem to really want to divide. 
We kind of fight against unity. We see this going back to 1 Corinthians 11. Again, this is, this is where Paul's words on communion come up. But 1 Corinthians 11.33, and I, got, I have it on the screen for you as well. He says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Again, the, their communion was expressed in their actual meals. And so they had these feasts where they would love on one another and break bread together. And then they would, they would say, okay, here's the body of Christ. Here's the blood of Christ. But apparently in the Corinthian church, it, it was becoming just a feast. And the potluck was, was overtaking the meaning. And then those with greater appetites were eating first and the poor were being pushed out and unity was nowhere in the building. So Paul calls them out to say, you, you misunderstand what this is all about. The love feast focuses on the unity of the body of Christ. Communion focuses on the unity of the body of Christ. So when we come together, it should be a regular reminder that whatever differences we have, we have the great healer that we can access to bring about healing in relationship and in the body. Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. And this is the place that is where Jesus takes a big highlighter out says this, when you do this, do it with love for one another. The next name I want to focus on, maybe one that you're most familiar with, Lord's Supper. And it kind of, pun intended, feeds into the love feast idea. Lord's Supper. You see, again, when the early church came together, it was an actual meal. And it was an expanded meal. It, Lord's Supper came out of Passover, an actual meal, a meal feel, filled with symbolism. And some of you have been with us when, when Jews for Jesus have, have sent someone here to lead us through the Seder meal. And I mean, there is so much symbolism. I, I would, I don't know, the stress of being the head of a household and having to lead your family through this and remember every little thing and more than likely having a child or a wife that does remember it when you don't. Uh, nope, wrong chicken leg there. No, you're supposed to use that cup. Wrong, you know, wrong fork. It's kind of like going first time at a fine dining meal and you don't know which fork to use and which spoon to use. Let's talk about anxiety. But they did it year after year and they taught it well. And it was something they were excited about. It was a celebration. It was a celebration. When you hear the Lord's Supper... I want remember why we're here to come to mind. Remember why we're here. You see, for the early church, it was all about the food, but it wasn't. Right? They came together because the, the food brought them together, and it, it was a, a place of unity, but it was also a celebration for a purpose. When you host a party and you invite people over, usually there's a reason, right? You have a, a birthday or a graduation or a wedding or an anniversary or a, a Super Bowl or, you know, whatever it might be. There's an occasion. Even if it's just simply, I want to see my friends, the occasion is we, we get together on this day every, every month. Whatever it might be, there's an occasion. Remember why we're here. And in, in the modern expression of the local church, we all live our, our lives for the most part, go to our separate places and have our separate work and, and our separate homes and households, and then we come together. 
And it does seem like randomness just, just brought in and then we're supposed to meld into this, this unified body. And we need to be reminded of why we're here. Sometimes it's, well, it's Sunday morning. Sometimes it's, well, I grew up doing this. Sometimes it's, well, it's the fourth Sunday of the month. In, in my church that I grew up in, we held communion on Sunday night. That was, you know, remember a time when we had Sunday nights service? Um, and we did it on Sunday night, and it was the last Sunday of the month. And I, you know, used it as far as a, it was, it was a habit-forming device for me to know that I did not really have to confess anything till the last Sunday night of the month, because then I would have to sit there, and, the, and our pastor would get up, and he was a little bit more old school, and he would... I, I, I don't know any other word than to use the word threaten to say, don't take this if you have unconfessed sin. I never understood what the stick was that he was holding up of what was going to happen. But, you know, 10-year-old me was just like, Ugh, you know, I'm not going to, what? but I'm a good Christian church kid, so I'm not going to be seen not getting up and getting the communion stuff. So I'm torn. I have to go to church because my parents make me. I, they're going to watch this video. They didn't make me. I wanted to go. Um, <laughs> and, and I had friends there. I want to see my, see my friends. Uh, they weren't, uh, there's going to be whispers. Matt's not getting communion. What's going on with Matt? You know? So real quick, Jesus, check out. I did this. I did this. I did, you know, I need to be reminded of why I'm here. And it's meant to be a celebration, not a funeral of when I have to mourn the fact that I've messed up so often and drag myself in like the prodigal son month after month. Remember why we're here. Look at Luke twenty-two nineteen again. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. He's giving a gift. This is grace. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my grace. When you come together, do it in remembrance. Have a party. The Lord's Supper focuses our worship as we remember and celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We remember. And then the last one we're skipping to is the most used one, communion. And in fact, you might have guessed that's the word I, title I often use because I've used it most of the morning. Communion. When you hear communion, I want you to think participation. In fact, in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, again, he, he talks about our participation when we take the cup, when we take the bread. And the Greek word there is koinonia. And usually when we hear, hear that word koinonia, we think fellowship, right? This is a fellowship, a participation with the Spirit and His covenantal work. And the last thing I want to look at before the kids lining up outside the door come in. Verse 29, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, and this is Luke 22, this cup that is poured out for you, the new covenant. If there's a new covenant, there was an old covenant. And the old covenant given through Moses was done by the pouring out of the blood of bulls and goats and sheep, and it was not sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. We read in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is saying, this new covenant, this cup, this is symbolic of my blood, that it is sufficient 
for the forgiveness of sins. And I am inviting you into a participation of the Spirit's work in establishing the key kingdom in this new covenant. So the last thing that we focus on, communion focuses on our participation in the new covenant brought about by the blood of Christ. Now I want to ask somebody to open the door and let the kids come in. They're going to come find you. And in this moment of chaos, if you have not yet taken an element from the basket in the back, the, the juice and the bread, feel free to go get that. And as they are coming in, I want to pose a question to you. Now, I quickly moved through five things, and so I'm going to remind you. Because what I want you to think about is, what name do you need to use this morning? Because as soon as the children come in and get settled, we're going to have a time of communion or Lord's Supper or Lord's Table or Love Feast or the Eucharist. What name do you need to use this morning? Do you need to focus on unity? Do you need to focus on gratitude? On a celebration of remembrance? Does it need to be about the covenant and the forgiveness of sins? And so as the kids come in, I'm going to give you a moment to think on that. Because when we begin this time of communion together, I want to give an opportunity for you to privately, if you would like, speak a word regarding one of these names to God. Or just like, say it out loud. Yell it out. Say it. What name do you need to call it this morning? What is that wait a minute bush for you that snagged you and you thought, I got to stop for a second? And just give a prayer back to God as we take this together, acknowledging one of these aspects, a need to renew my allegiance in the midst of, of idolatry, a need to uh, seek love and unity, a need to be thankful, and a need to remember. So I'm going to pray to close us now, give you a few seconds to think and Get your kids adjusted and passed out little cups. And then I want to give a moment for those of you that would like to say a word. Just at your seat. You don't have to stand. Just, just say it out loud. A word back to God. A word of worship. Of which one of these names really speaks to you. And what you want to say to God as a result. It could be a simple, thank you God for this. It could be a simple, I want to renew my allegiance to you for this. Whatever it is for you, you can either do it in your heart or say it out loud together. Pray with me. Jesus, you knew us so well. You know us so well that you knew we needed something, a bookmark, something that draws us back together after we go out and spread all over this planet. And so right now, as we do that together, as we spent time really getting to know this thing that you earnestly desired to share with us. Help us now to really see what is your spirit communicating to me right now? In Jesus' name. So take a moment to pray or say a word.
So he took the bread, and you, with your family, please take out the bread. And he broke it, and he divided it among them and said, this is my body given for you. So let's take it together. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my blood poured out for you in the new covenant. So let's take it together. Worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to have a little extended time of worship, celebration, all the things that we've considered this morning. God, we, we acknowledge that this is your table. My heart is your table. And although I struggle to seek and worship after other things. This morning, once again, I can renew my allegiance and I can be reminded. We can be thankful. We give thanks for the blood and your body given for me. And we do it together as one body, unified in your spirit, remembering your sacrifice, your death, burial, and resurrection, and that you're coming again. We remember your promise that you will not Take this again until the kingdom is fulfilled and we can focus on your coming again as well. And so now as we worship in spirit and truth, just take our gift. We praise you and thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for the hope of new life and for coming again for that one day when we will eat together with you in true celebration of what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Teach me some melody. 
Thank you for being with us today. You guys have a great week.